you for joining us. You're listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The sacrifice of intercession. The sacrifice of intercession. Let's pray. Oh Lord, today... It seems that the Christian faith has become a consumer sport. Lord, that's not what you called us for. You didn't call us to be consumers. You called us to be producers. Lord, today I ask that you would just unveil this to our eyes so that we could clearly see what it is you want us to produce and how to go about producing it. Lord, would you just make it simple? Would you break it open for us as the bread of life? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Moses is up in the mountain. He's speaking face to face with God. And in this place, speaking face to face with God the very last thing God wants to talk to him about after 40 days is entering into Sabbath rest. You would think that after 40 days, he would say, now you understand everything that I've told you you must do. Now let's get hyped up, guys. It's time to go down and put up your best effort. That wasn't God's heart. Nowhere in the scripture will you find that the Christian walk is a self-help walk. You won't find that it's a self-improvement walk. You'll find that it's a dying and transformation walk. So Jesus' heart, remember Matthew, he said, All you who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Jesus was saying, look, You've tried. You've done your best. It was not enough. Now would you come rest? This is the heart of God. Why do you think he wants to take us to heaven? So he can work us like slaves? No, so he can enjoy fellowship with us. Sweet communion. Why do you go to work? Why do you labor? Isn't it so that you can come home and be with your wife or your husband, your family? So that you can have sweet communion with your loved ones? I mean, you go spend an afternoon with your son or your daughter. And if you get to be my age and you're blessed with your grandkids. And you say, what joy. Well, it takes money to go spend time with the grandkids. I mean, they want, and Grandpa wants to give. That means there has to be some labor done somewhere. Well, when it's all finished, what does God want with us? He wants sweet communion with us. He wants fellowship with us. So when Jesus, for it was Jesus who spoke on Mount Sinai, 
And it was Jesus who met with Moses, the pre-incarnate Christ. He met with Moses. So he's there on that mountaintop. They've had 40 days and everything's been outlined. And now at the very last moment before he begins to speak with Moses about what the people are doing as they become corrupt. He now wants to speak to Moses about coming into rest. I have to tell you, you're not going to understand this message today if you think your life is about becoming all you can be. You're not going to understand this message if you think that what you really need are a few more tips so that you can cut the edge a little closer, be a little more cunning and a little sharper so that you can achieve more in your life. That's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. It's about coming and entering into that Sabbath rest. Now, from the New Testament, we understand that the Sabbath rest was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself. So it's rest that we enter into. So let's read this. We find it in the book of Exodus, chapter 31. We'll begin with verse 12. Exodus 31, begin with verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So in other words, to become holy is not a bootstrap operation. To become holy is to enter into that place of rest where I cease from my own labor and I put my trust in Jesus. Observe the Sabbath, verse 14, because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. He does not want the type in any way to distract from the reality. If we do not enter into the rest of Jesus Christ, we have not been born again. You say that again. If you do not enter into the rest of Jesus Christ, you have not been born again. That's what he's trying to say. You're going to die. Verse 15, for six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. There is only one lasting covenant. It is the everlasting covenant, and that everlasting covenant is Jesus Christ. So before we begin to talk about the sacrifice of intercession, you need to understand that the basis for the sacrifice is not to do more, but to do less. 
That doesn't sound right to our entrepreneurial ears, does it? It's not to do more, it's to do less. It's to rest in Jesus Christ. It's to enter into Jesus Christ. Why did he say, if you want to follow me, first deny yourself? What are you denying yourself? You're denying yourself your worldly pursuit of self-help. You're denying yourself of that entrepreneurial spirit that says, I can do it, go for it, no fear. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, and I'm tough. No, he's saying, don't walk in that. Turn away from that. Come into Jesus Christ. Receive what the Lord wants to give to you. When the Lord had finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tables of stone, inscribed by the finger of God. Now you understand what God did here. He gave Moses the original copy and the carbon copy. He said, Moses, you keep both copies of this covenant. Oh, and where did he tell him to put the copies of the covenant? Under the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Under the mercy seat. This is the rest of God. Where we enter into Jesus Christ as a place of rest. We deny ourselves of that drivenness given to Eve by the devil in the Garden of Eden. Where, Eden, where, where the devil said to her, you're not going to die. You're going to become a god. Oh, and that lie has enticed our hearts year after year. And which of us have not tried to be a god and failed utterly at the attempt? And then said, I have to go take some classes so I can learn how to be a better god. I mean, which of us have not done that? But now watch, it gets played out before us in chapter 32. And usually when we've spoken about chapter 32, the golden calf, our focus is on how corrupt the children of Israel is. Today I don't want to deal with that aspect. Instead I want us to look at how Moses operates. Because Moses is the model intercessor in the old covenant. Watch how Moses functions. The people see that Moses is so long in coming down the mountain and they get a hold of Aaron and they say, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, we don't know what happened to him. We don't know what happened to Moses. He may have gotten lost up there on the mountain. We need a God we can see. Now, watch. Aaron answers, take off the gold earring that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. 
he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now what was this god, this calf god? The calf god is the symbol of the prosperity god. So what they're really saying is, by our pursuit of prosperity, we can achieve our dreams. There are a lot of golden calves being put up in churches across America today. And they're bowing down and worshiping at these golden calves. In fact, the congregation flows forward and puts money at the feet of the golden calf. Why are they doing it? For the same reason the Buddhists do it. They want a blessing. They want a reward. They want good luck. How many people I've had talk to me and say, Pastor, you don't know how many times, because I've so needed the blessing of God in my life, I've believed these lying pastors and I've gone down to that golden calf and I've laid every penny I have on the floor. And when I went out, all I had was an empty hole in my pocket and a huge cavern in my heart. And there was no blessing of God. This is what the children of Israel have turned to. A prosperity God. And they're bowing down and worshiping. And God calls them corrupt. He says they have become corrupt. Well, that word in the Hebrew is the same word that is used of fruit that becomes spoiled that you would not want to eat. And it's referred to in the Hebrew as corrupt fruit. And so God is saying, my people have become rotten to my taste. That's why Jesus said, you're lukewarm in my mouth. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You've become corrupt to my mouth. I can't stand to put you in my mouth. I can't stand the taste of you. Because there's no entering into the rest of God. There's no repentance for the golden calf. There's simply this desire to achieve and get ahead. And if God won't do it, I'll find another God who will do it. But I will succeed. I will have my way. And if God won't do it, I'll find another God. A golden calf. Moses begins to hear God's words of judgment. He says in chapter 32, verse 9, I have seen these people, and they are stiff-necked. What's he mean, they are stiff-necked? Everything in the New Testament has to be understood through the lens 
of the Old Testament. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. So he's saying, I'm going to be the big ox that pulls this load. All you have to do is be the little ox that walks beside me. I'm going to pull the load. You don't have to pull it. I'm going to pull it. And the children of Israel said, I don't like where you're taking me. I don't want to go this direction. So I'm going to stiffen my neck so you cannot put the yoke on me. I will not be yoked up with you, Jesus, because here's the problem. Once you get yoked up with Jesus and you want to head off to the barn, the yoke is going to hold you there. And it's going to be a very painful deal as you try to escape the hand of God. That's why I warn people, don't play with God. Because once you're yoked up with him, you're going to go through either the easy way or the hard way. But he is going to carry you or drag you. But you are going to go down that field. And some of you have been speaking with me this week and it seemed like you're being drugged. Falling down. And then wanting to condemn yourself. Well, you weren't supposed to pull the load anyway. You were just supposed to walk beside the big ox. But when it's not toward the prosperity God, you say, but I thought I was going to get a blessing. I thought I was going to prosper. And here I am losing everything. If I'm going to lose everything, I'm getting out of this deal. I tell you what, the door of heaven swings slowly open and the door of heaven swings slowly closed. And I ask you today, which way is it swinging on your life? Is the door of heaven opening in your life or is the door of heaven closing in your life? Now God begins to speak judgment. Verse 9, I've seen these people. They are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Oh, and now here's the crux of intercession. You can never intercede if you don't get this. Always when God calls his people to begin to pray for another. There is the implied promise. If you'll just let my judgment come on this family or this person. I'll just go ahead and bless you. Because you're the one in the prayer closet. You're better than they are. So I'll bless you. So don't bother with them. Just get your blessing from God and run. Let God just pour out his blessing on you because you're the good one. You're praying. And Moses utterly rejected that. God was testing him. I mean, here Moses was being offered a deal by God. And a good deal. 
He was saying, look, just let me destroy this people and we'll start over and we'll start over with you. You can be Abraham. I mean, what if God comes to you and says to you, look, I know it's a wicked world. I'm just going to destroy it and wipe it out. But look, I've got a blessing for you. Now, if Moses had taken that deal, how would he have been any different than the children of Israel taking their prosperity God? See, we won't all bite on the same outward clothing. I mean, some people bite on hot cars. Some people bite on a big refrigerator. Some people bite on entertainment. It doesn't always come as a special deal with money. Because some of you don't care about money. But oh, you care about your comfortable bed. You care about your fridge. You care about having that nice place to live. You care about nobody telling you what to do. You care about being able to get mad when you want to get mad and pout, pout when you want to pout, tell somebody off when you want to tell them off. Oh, you care about that. And God is coming now to Moses and he's packaging a special deal just for Moses to see what's in Moses' heart. He's not tempting him, he's testing him. He wants to know what's in Moses' heart. Boy, are you trembling in your heart that God would come and deliberately test you? And see what's in your heart? This is the point of intercession. Verse 11, Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Oh, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was evil, it was with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? I mean, everybody had seen over a million people walk out into the desert where there was no infrastructure for their food or for their water or for their sanitation, there was no human way that this million-plus people were not going to die in the wilderness. And it would have been the greatest story in the human race. These foolish people thought they were following God, and they all walked out there and died. Wouldn't have God been ridiculed Moses sees that and he says, oh God, don't let your name be scorned. Step into this deal. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants. Remember. Now I tell you, if you want to be an effective intercessor for the Lord God of heaven, if you want to touch his heart, you're going to have to remember and you're going to have to remind God to remember. 
Now in the Hebrew, to remember does not mean to bring a set of facts to mind. That's the Western way of thinking. In the Hebrew, to remember is to actually experience again as though it were happening for the first time. And so literally what Moses is saying is, God, stop a minute and just fellowship with Abraham. Fellowship with Abraham. Stop a minute, God, fellowship with Isaac. Stop a minute, God, and fellowship with Israel. You notice he doesn't call him Jacob. He doesn't want God to stop in fellowship with Jacob. He might destroy him. He wants God to come in fellowship with the overcomer. To whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land. I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented. Now let's... Let's remember some things together from past weeks. And I urge you, if you have not been here over the last several weeks, please get these tapes because they all go together as a whole. But let's review quickly for some of you who have not been here. In John 15, it speaks about abiding in Jesus or remaining in Jesus or resting in Jesus. And we've shared together that that was not a generic resting. It's a very specific resting. In other words, the word of the Lord comes to your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says, I want you to do this. We're not under law. We're not in, we're not in the old covenant. We're under grace. And our position with God comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ and by his shed blood. And there's that power in the blood that we've been speaking about. So now we come in the power of that blood. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he says, turn the television off. I want time with you. And so you step into that place of abiding or resting. And you say, okay, I'm not going to rest in the television. I'm not going to stay in the television. I'm going to come out of the television and I'm going to come into you, Jesus. And so then every time that temptation comes for you to go climb back into that television, you say, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to do it. By the power of the blood, I'm not going to do it. What you've just said is you have bound the strong man you have formed a place of intercession. And as you gain authority in that place of abiding where the Spirit has told you to abide, you step into that place of authority and now you have the right to come to the Lord to remind Him of the past and to say, Oh God, will you lift this person, my husband, my wife, my child, will you lift my boss, will you lift this nation? You have a place of abiding. You have, you're not an orphan. And isn't that the promise? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. 
So he sends his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit comes, according to the scripture, to convict us of guilt regarding sin, judgment, righteousness, right? And so he comes and he convicts us of that, and he gives us a specific step. We take that step. Now, as we abide in that place, we have authority to intercede as Moses was interceding. Our prayers now will be answered. And then he answers our prayer, and we see another great crisis facing a family or a loved one. We see them moving more and more toward darkness, and we cry out to the Lord, and we come to pray again, and this time he says, okay, here's the new place of abiding. Step into this. And as you step into that place of abiding, you gain authority with the Lord, because... What does it say in John 15? If you abide in me, my word remains in you, you will bear much fruit. We like to think of that in terms of a general emotion that says, yes, I love Jesus. As we walk into sin, the Lord is saying, no, that's not abiding in me. You have to walk like I walk. That's what the word says. Walk like Jesus walked. And so as you step into that place of abiding, not through your self-help, it's a place of rest. Abiding is resting. And in that place of rest, you can come to God. You can remind him of the past. You can thank him and praise him and honor him for what he's done. And you can say, now, by your blood, Jesus... This is what I'm asking you to accomplish in my life. So that Jan is walking outside and sees the neighbor man. And the neighbor man comes over and says, Oh, I heard about your brother. I heard your brother died. Yes. But does Jan then get into her grief about her brother dying? No. No. It's not about Jan, it's about this dear brother who's lost. And he says to her, he died of lung cancer, didn't he? Yes, I'm still smoking. My wife's going to have a baby. I've tried to quit smoking and I can't quit. And so Jan talks with him about, you can't do it on your own. There's a wicked spirit in this. You're addicted to this. It has to be broken by the power of the blood. She turns and she's walking away and the Holy Spirit remonstrates with her and says, go get that man and pray for him, my blood. So she turns back. Christ, come here. Right out in the middle of the street, give me your hands. She begins to pray over this pagan man. What gives her the authority to do that? She's been in that place of rest, that place of abiding in obedience to Jesus, and now she prays with authority over this pagan man and asks for the transforming power of the Spirit to come in and break this nicotine habit that's consuming him, that he stands there now and begins to weep in the middle of the street. Because the Holy Spirit falls on him. She finishes praying. He's wiping his eyes. He's this real macho guy. He's wiping his eyes. 
He's saying, I'll be over to see you at church soon. Wow. Wait a minute. Church is supposed to be filled with people who've been transformed by the glory of God. How are people going to be transformed by the glory of God if somebody doesn't take a place of intercession? If somebody doesn't abide in Jesus and rest in Jesus and out of that place of rest and abiding begin to take authority over the powers of darkness, rebuke them and break them over those who cannot pray for themselves. That's what the National Prayer Chapel is about. See, that's the sacrifice of intercession. But let me show you how far Moses was willing to take this. Moses goes down the mountain. Now look, Moses was not a milk toast. He went down the mountain and he said, what in the world have you people done? God is mad. So on one side... He'll intercede with God and he'll say, oh, have mercy on these people. But then he's going to go down. And I tell you what, he's going to get these people straightened out. He throws that golden calf into the fire. He burns it. He puts the ash in the water. He says, now drink it. And they're not listening. They're not listening. They're still playing around sexually. They're having an orgy down there. Moses calls out, okay, everyone who's with me, come here. And the men come and he says, strap your swords on and go through this camp and kill everybody who's engaged in this sexual promiscuity. Just kill them. Brothers, fathers, just kill them. And suddenly, a deathly silence and wailing fall on these people as the discipline comes on them. But what I want you to hear today is that just because you begin to pray for somebody doesn't mean they're walking into a cakewalk. I mean, some of you in this room have been prayed for, and the prayer that we've prayed for you is, God, do anything you have to do to stop them in their course. Doesn't matter what you do to them, just do it. Oh, and God has done it. God has taken jobs and money I mean, he's done all kinds of things to people to get their attention, many of you. And you would testify today, yes, God got my attention, but he carried me through by his grace. I didn't do it. He picked me up and carried me. He carried my family. My wife and I would have been split. We would have been out of here. We'd have been divorced, but by the grace of God, he reached down, he picked us up in his arms, and he carried us. Moses goes back up the mountain to the Lord. And I want you to see this is what intercession is. It's going out and dealing with the situation, whatever it is, and then it's to head back to the prayer closet. Then it's coming back out and dealing with whatever you have to deal with, then going right back to the prayer closet. Some of you don't like to pray very much because nothing happens when you pray. Well, nothing happens when you pray because you have no place of abiding in the Spirit. As soon as you begin to get that place of abiding in the Spirit, you pray and you'll see your prayers answered like that as you pray for the salvation of others. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. 
This is verse 31, chapter 30, uh, 32, verse 31. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. I tell you something. You don't say that unless you have great love in your heart for the one you're praying for. Your prayer will not be answered if there is not a great love in your heart for that person or that couple that you're crying aloud for. It means becoming so identified with them that your life is tied up with them. So that your life is tied up with them. That means you'll sacrifice anything you have to sacrifice to reach that couple or to reach that man or that woman. There's no barrier with money or time or you are there to intercede. Do you think it didn't take Moses time to climb up and down that mountain to see God? It took time and it took energy. Blot me out, O oh God. I've tried praying that a couple times. You know what the Lord has said to me? He said, do you really mean that? I backed off and said, let me think about it. Now hear what I'm saying. Intercession is a process of growing in maturity. You can begin to intercede for some great thing. But if you're unwilling to lay your life down for that, the Lord is not going to hear your prayer. So start praying for someone or something that you're willing to lay your life down for. And what are you willing to lay your life down for? What are you willing to lose your reputation for? What are you willing to lose your job for? What are you willing to lose everything for? If you're not willing to lose it all for that person, don't bother praying for him. Your prayers aren't even reaching the throne room of God. We pray so many prayers. Oh, God, bless the missionaries and do this and do that. Like God's our lackey. Would you, would you allow your child to play with a sharp sword or with a, with a pistol loaded and automatic? Would you allow your child to play with that and toss it around the house? No. Somebody died. Well, prayer is such a weapon. We can't play with prayer. It's for real. 
We need to understand that we're dealing with spiritual powers. Just because we can't see in the spirit realm doesn't mean the powers are not there, much greater than anything we've ever experienced. Both the devil's power and the power of God. A pastor called me last night, and he was saying, Ray, do you believe that Satan has any power to touch or to block a Christian? He said, I believe that after Jesus died, the Christian has total authority over the devil, and he has to flee. And I said to him, from what place of authority do you think you have that power? He said, because Jesus died on the cross, I have that power. I said to him, have you died on the cross? That power is only granted when you have died on the cross. So when we come to Jesus and we begin to intercede and we have no place of obedience, we have no place of self-denial, we have no place where we've come before God and given everything in and entered into his rest, we have no authority against Satan and he will have a heyday with us. This, was, this is what we were talking about in terms of binding the strong man. He'll contort our bodies. He'll contort our lives. He'll give us twisted ideas. He'll take a sound mind from us. He'll cause depression to come on us. He'll cause all kinds of fantasies to come upon us. He'll cause diseases to come upon us. Until we have that place of abiding, of resting in Jesus where we now have a place of authority under the blood to begin to say, Lord God, I'll give my life for this. Now I have to just press this for one moment longer. All of us are giving our lives for something. What have you given your life for so far? Some of you have given your life to try to look pretty. Some of you have given your life to be successful financially. Some of you have given your life to be liked. Some of you have given your life for your families. And Jesus comes now and he says to you, will you give your life for me? Will you give your life for me? But you see, if I begin to give my life for Jesus, then I can no longer give my life for what I've been giving it to. Because at work, they're going to say, you're giving your life to Jesus. You're not giving your life to me. The family's going to say, you're not giving your life to me. You're giving your life to Jesus. Let me read this for you. Chapter 34, verse 14. Do not worship any other gods. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Did you know all gods are jealous gods? All gods are jealous gods.
Your boss is jealous of your time. Your family is jealous of your time. Your boyfriend or girlfriend is jealous of your time. Your wife is jealous for your time. Everybody's jealous. They want what they want. And so you come into this now, and you've been called to pray. You've been called to take authority in Jesus Christ and become an intercessor. And the Word is saying, I'm jealous of you. I want you for myself. I want you. That's why I had to ask you the question, who have you been giving yourself to? I mean, we can fit God into our schedule. Isn't that an oxymoron? Is God small enough that he'll fit in my box? I don't fit God in. God fits me in. There is a sacrifice that God is calling for at the National Prayer Chapel. And that sacrifice is to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. That sacrifice is to turn aside from the worldly ways, from all of my dreams, from all of my hopes, from all of my lusts, from all of my loves, to turn aside from all of that, every God to turn aside from it and to come into the presence of the Lord God of heaven and say, Lord, use me now in any way you choose to use me and I will sacrifice my life for you to hear my prayer. And so I will take authority over the city of Washington, D.C. In the name of Jesus, I will take authority over what's happening in this city, in the spirit realm. And I will ask now, Lord Jesus, that you change what's happening in this city, that you will bring revival in this city, that you will cause conviction of sin in this city, that you will cast down the golden calves that have been established. You'll destroy the greed and the power. The wickedness will be exposed, and you will cause to be lifted up a banner of righteousness, Christ righteousness, for the healing of this city. But before we get to that kind of huge intercession, we've got to practice interceding for our husbands and our wives, our children. For if we don't bring our children, what have we done? If we don't bring our, our family, our wives, our husbands, if we don't bring those closest to us, and you're not going to be able to even cause that mountain to wiggle. Remember it said if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you can cause that mountain to be ripped up and cast into the sea. Well, you're not going to be able to even cause a grain of sand to begin to move if you don't gain authority in the heavenly realms by a place of abiding in Jesus. So as he calls us to abide in him, to rest in him, in these little areas, 
later the places of abiding are going to become very large. Right now, he's just asking us to take little baby steps of abiding. I mean, what are you going to do when he says, sell your house and move? What are you going to do when he says, leave that job? I mean, a brother that I was speaking with, he was told to leave his job. He has a wife and family. As a place of abiding. And so he did so. And everybody in his church has been down on him saying, you have to work. You can't just walk away from your job. And he says, but wait a minute. It says that if I seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, all these things will be given unto me. So I did what he told me to do. I said to him, what happened? Have you lost your house yet? Oh, Lord sent the money to pay off the mortgage. The Lord sent the money to pay off your mortgage? Would you have earned that much in your job? No. Now, is God telling all of you to leave your jobs? No. That's your place of assignment, so you have somebody to intercede for. Your jobs are the places God has assigned you so that you can learn how to intercede. Not plunge into the dissipation with the others. But learn how to intercede. Learn how to take the authority and to function with that authority in a place where it's safe to do so. The sacrifice of intercession... You finally recognize you have to lay your life down. You have to lay your life down. Are you willing to do that? You see, the popular theology of the day says, Jesus went to the cross for you and laid his life down, and now you get to live any way you want to live, and you're saved. But Jesus said, I'm going to lay my life down for you, and now you come and follow me and go to Golgotha and be crucified too. And then you can come and be where I am. The only way to go where Jesus is, is via the cross. So today we're going to celebrate the body of Jesus Christ broken for us. We're going to celebrate that symbol of his blood with the grape juice, his spilled blood. We're going to celebrate these, and I use the term celebrate intentionally. Because to our great joy, this has opened the way for us to also go to the cross and to enter into the rest of Jesus so that we can do the same things Jesus did.
and even greater things the scriptures say. Because he's now in the courts of heaven at the right hand of the Father. And whatever we ask in his name, he will do. Because the Father loves us. Now some of you today came into this house. You're not even sure you're a Christian. Some of you are cultural Christians. Walking in known sin, known disobedience before God. And you know judgment is on your life. You're still welcome to come and take communion. Because it's the blood that washes you. And it's the bread that gives you strength for the journey. So today, if you need cleansing, and you need strength, come to the communion table of the Lord. God is not trying to put us in slavery. He's trying to free us. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you and me. Let's pray. Almighty God, today, I ask you to teach me how to intercede for the lost. I ask you to give me that place of authority that I could walk in obedience humbly before you, that I could pray for my brother and my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, His glory.